Aloha kako, wahia kahiko, wola naivi. E nana ia na ka alavi a me ka akikiki. E lua ano manu mukiki ikea la. The olalo no eo, or poetical saying that my co-host Lei just shared, reminds us of the care Ohana members have and show for their respected and revered kupuna. Let's keep this in mind as we're introduced to more of our kupuna today in the form of native birds of Hawaii. Velina mai. Welcome to Kaleo Kaulua. Our current season of Kaleo Kaulua highlights our deep connections with our avian cousins, the native birds of Hawaii. All season long, members of a group called Ahui Manu will be joining us to share about this connection between Kanaka and Manu. Ahui Manu is a group of people dedicated to our collective recollection and reaffirmation of our ancient and contemporary bonds with the Manu people, the native birds of Hawaii Nei. With each episode, our Miakipa will lift up the names, characteristics, and places that are associated with particular native bird species, including their appearance in an oli that's composed to celebrate each one and their relationships with life forms, mauka and makai. Today, we have the privilege of having Noah Gomes join us to share about two very special manu, the alavi and the akikiki, manu from opposite ends of the pai aina. Drew, would you like to do the honors? Hiki no. Noah Gomes is from Wahiwa on Oahu, with ancestry from Lanai, Kauai, Portugal, Madeira, the Azores, Philippines, Japan, and the United Kingdom. He's resided in East Hawaii for nearly two decades, and he holds a BA and an MA from Kahakaula Oka'ili Kolani at the University of Hawaii at Hilo. Noah is known for his research interests in ethno-ornithology, and he also has a deep interest in place, particularly in East Hawaii. He's worked as a ranger at Hawaii Volcanoes National Park as well. Noah has much expertise in Hawaiian place names, and he's also had an important role in the naming of a bird species. It's great to have Noah back to record another episode with us. He shared amazing mo'olelo vahipana of Ka'u during the first season of this podcast. Let's go over to our hoaloha Noah now. Aloha Noah. Mahalo for joining us today on Kaleo Ka'uluau to talk about our bird friends. Mahalo. Yeah, it's great to be back here to talk about something different. It's great to see you. Mahalo for being with us today. And um, it sounds like you're, you, the two Manu that you're going to speak about today have different superpowers. Yes. Am I sharing that? Uh, these two birds live in two very different places. One on this end of the archipelago on Hawaii Island and the other on Kauai. Um, one thing about these two birds is for a long time, people actually thought they were the same species, uh, two different subspecies of the same species, but it turns out they're not as closely related as we used to think. Um, these two birds are the alavi on Hawaii and the akikiki on Kauai, both endangered. So uh, the alavi is a really drab looking kind of greenish grayish bird. Um, most people know it as the Hawaii creeper. The Latin name is Loxops mana. The Akikiki is also pretty drab. Um, it has a kind of a lighter belly and face and kind of a, to me, it's more of a brownish color, dark brownish color on the top of, of its body, um, on the back and on the head. Both of them are really small birds. And the genus for the Akikiki is Oreomystes. Oreomystes. Um, I can't remember the specific name. It's something that's hard to pronounce. <laughs> um, 
but they're both very special birds um, that a lot of people don't know about. Um, I've never actually seen an Akikiki before. Olive I've seen many times. And the reason why I've never seen an Akikiki before is because one, I don't live on Kauai. And two, it is very, very rare. Increasingly rare. Like it actually might go extinct this year. Um, the Olive is also endangered, but we can still find them in places. And, um, you know, we do regular forest bird surveys on this island. So um, we're tracking them as well. So I think I want to start by talking about the olive. Um, my experience with the olive is, I guess it's, I first saw them probably back in, gee, must have been 2011 when I started volunteering for the Endangered Forest Bird Surveys on this island. I'm not sure if any of the other guests have talked about these Endangered Forest Bird Surveys before. Um, this is actually the season in which they're done right now. What they are is annual surveys in particular places, um, special places on this island where we have a lot of our native forest birds still. And scientists and a couple of volunteers like myself will go from one higher point up um, in the forest and walk down to a lower point. Um, we call that a transect. It's kind of like a trail, but not really. Um, along the transect, every so many meters, there are things that are called stations. And you go down the transect and stop at each station and make observations. You listen very carefully with your ears and you look around and you try to detect every bird that you can. Foreign birds, native birds, endangered birds, common birds, all of them. And you write that down. Actually, now we're using an app, but you write it down normally, or well, we used to write it down. Now we're doing app, and now we're doing it digital like everybody else. But they use that data that we collect to determine, you know, the brilliant math people use that data to determine how many birds exist in a given area. So when we say something like, oh, there's maybe, I don't remember the exact statistics, but 600 to 1,000 palila left, that's how they get to that, mm-hmm. to that number um, by extrapolating that data and saying, okay, well, if they detected two palila 20 meters away over here and they didn't see any palila over here and at this location they saw one that was 90 meters away, they can figure out about how many we're seeing and how many we're not seeing. So I can't remember why I was explaining all of this to you. <laughs> Your experience. In- oh, okay. So my my first experience seeing an olive was on one of these endangered forest bird surveys. Um, and the thing about olive is, so their superpower, their superpower is invisibility. I mean, you can see them. But <laughs> you can't see them. So like I said earlier, they're a really drab colored bird, kind of this this grayish greenish color. And uh, uh, the males are a little bit brighter than the females sometimes, but really they're not much to look at. They have a kind of a black raccoon mask on their eyes. Um, and they're small. But we have a lot of little grayish greenish birds in Hawaii, both foreign and native. So they don't stand out particularly well. And they look a lot like another native forest bird that is way, way, way more common. And that's the Amakihi. Mm-hmm. 
So the amakihi, especially the females, are also little grayish, greenish birds with a, with a black mask. But the black mask on the amakihi is a little bit thinner, more like a Zoro mask rather than a raccoon mask. <laughs> and the um, beak is a little bit more curved on, on an amakihi. But those are things that you don't necessarily notice, right? If you're looking at a bird from, you know, 30 meters away, it just looks like a little grayish greenish bird, right? You might be able to notice the mask thing, but you're probably not going to notice the little differences between an alavi and an amakihi. They look so much alike. Um, and for that reason, they're kind of hard to detect sometimes if you're just looking, but their sound, their, their, their songs are different. Um, they have a very distinctive song compared to the amakihi. Well, kind of distinctive. The amakihi song typically is very like, like the alavi's song is like a so it goes that downward kind of um it's it's similar right it's similar but you can distinctly tell an alavi song from an amaki song because it has that downward kind of movement to it um and so if an alavi sings then you definitely know it's there that's like the best way to know them. And, and when you're looking for birds in general, um, that is the easiest way to detect them is if they call or they sing. Because a lot of times birds don't want to be seen. And the olive being the color that it is, I'm sure it doesn't want to be seen, right? It's that color for a reason, probably because back in the day there were predators, right? And it, it needs to hide. Um, so it's invisible to us, but it's not really invisible. But it's, it, it, it's just... Hard to detect otherwise, um, and hard to tell the difference between it and an amakihi or other little grayish green birds. So it's an interesting little bird in its own regard. Um, it mostly eats what we call arthropods. So, you know, those are invertebrates. Yeah, little bugs and spiders and uh, caterpillars and things like that. And it'll creep around on branches and leaves looking for this kind of food. Though sometimes they'll, they'll drink nectar too. Most of our honey creepers um, will drink nectar. Olive are considered a honey creeper, like so many of our other native forest birds. They're all distantly related in that regard. Technically, they're all finches, though none of them look like finches. Um, but its most common food, the food that it likes the most, is, the, is those arthropods. So... The, my, my involvement with the olive is a little unique. Um, it, it's not a bird that I, I... I'm not an expert in olive I am not an expert in this bird or most birds, if not all birds for, for, for that matter. Um, though people tend to think I am. Um, I, I, I love birds. I love our native birds. I love our native forests. I love our animals. Um, some things I guess I should tell you about me is is my background with birds. I've I got into birds when I was a kid, um, when I was maybe eight or nine years old. My father used I've told this story so many times, like way too many times that my father's probably rolling his eyes. But um, <laughs> my father used to take my brother and I into the pineapple fields. Um, I'm from Wahiawa in Oahu, which is in the middle of the island, and. When you go through Wahiawa from the direction of Honolulu, heading towards the North Shore, after you hit Wahiawa, it's kind of all pineapple fields. And it used to be sugarcane too. But these days, you, you get all that agricultural area heading up to the North Shore. But, um, you know, 
my father grew up in that area in Wahiawa, and his father was an avid hunter, as were all of my father's uncles. They used to hunt pig. And they knew all those cultures really, really well. Like they had their own names for the places and stuff. And th these guys are Portuguese. Uh, they're not Hawaiian, but they knew the land very, very well um, in a way that I don't think you can know it anymore because a lot of those lands are locked up um, in different properties. But he used to take my brother and I up into the pineapple fields when we were young because he wanted us to know what things were like when he was a kid. Mm -hmm. And I think it was important to him to make sure that he spent some time with his sons because he worked a lot. So he made a point of it. Um, and Oahu, that island has changed a lot in the last 50 years. Like, and it's still changing a lot. In my lifetime, I'm 36 years old, it's changed a huge amount. So he wanted us to know what things were like back then. And so we would go out into the pineapple fields and then we would go down and drive down into the gulches and those gulches, you know, there's streams and there's reservoirs and it's forested, all alien forests, uh, no native plants or very, very few. But we would go down there and we'd listen to the birds and, you know, he would tell us about my grandpa who died before I was born. And we used to hear this bird. It would go, to 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 never forgot that that song and it was so beautiful and we used to wonder what it was and so one day my dad went to the library he got me uh, the Audubon field guide for Hawaii's birds it has a picture of the Eevee on it kind of hanging upside down I think it's hanging upside down and I devoured that I soon devoured every other bird book I could find which is not that many um but I was so inspired by it. I, I, all of these birds that nobody had seen for like 10 years. Uh, I was like, oh, that's what we heard. It wasn't, oh, oh, guarantee. It wasn't, <laughs> oh, or an, oh, ooh, maybe. Uh, I think it was, oh, ooh, that I thought it was back then. Um, later on, as an adult, I found out that the bird that we were hearing was an invasive species. It's called the Japanese bush warbler. Mm, it has a beautiful song. They have a song. beautiful song. Yeah, yes, very beautiful song. Um, but the Japanese bush warbler got me into birds and, and, Ever since then, you know, birds were my gateway drug into other native things. <laughs> um, you start learning about the plants then you start learning about other parts of the natural world. And I actually think that got me into Hawaiian things because of all of that. I cared. I, you know, I got my bachelor's and master's degree in Hawaiian studies. Um, as a master's student, um, going here to the University of Hawaii at Hilo in Kahakaula Ke'elikolani, the College of Hawaiian Language, I did my thesis research on the bird hunters in the old days um, for obvious reasons. And also because my professor, uh, Kale Lenglis, who's now retired, um, you know, he knew about my interest in the birds. And he told me, wow, you know, Noah, in the Land Boundary Commission testimonies from the Mahele period, there are a lot of, of um, these testimonies that mention people hunting birds, you know, in the traditional way. And I don't think anybody's really studied that until now. You should probably use this for your, your thesis. And I kind of went off the deep end when I, when I did all that. I was like, yeah. And so um, <laughs> anyway, I, I should give some background on that too. Sorry, there's a lot of setup here. Land Boundary Commission testimonies. The Land Boundary Commission testimonies are from a period of time after the Mahele. 
um, during the Hawaiian Kingdom period. Uh, so what happened during the Mahele is Hawaii uh, changed its system of land ownership to a Western one, you know, private land ownership. And I'm not going to go into the details of that. But what happened is essentially people ended up with private land. Uh, some people had very large private lands. Um, they might own an entire ahupua'a. But suddenly, these new landowners, these new private landowners encountered a problem. They didn't know where one person's land ended and the next person's land uh, began. So what happened is the kingdom created this commission to go out and settle disputes about land boundaries. And you would pay a surveyor to go and survey your land and figure out where the boundaries were. But in order to do that, they would summon the locals, the people who had been on the land for generations to come, if there were any left, to come and give testimony about where the boundaries were. And what's interesting about those land boundary commission testimonies is the ones for this island are particularly detailed. The people who wrote down the information from the testimonies were concerned with uh, natural resources. So because of that, we get a little bit of a glimpse to some of the traditions on the landscape in the Land Boundary Commission testimonies and a little bit of a glimpse to some of these really cool things that people in the old days knew that we don't really know anymore. And some of that is about bird catching, where, where bird hunting was important for people, what kind of birds they were hunting, who had the rights to the birds, where people would stay when they were hunting, uh, all kinds of stuff like that. And you get really cool stories. And that's a whole nother podcast we could go into. Um, but I studied some of that for my thesis. And then I started gobbling up every other little thing I could possibly find about the bird catchers. And I got lucky. I found a bunch of stuff in the Hawaii State Archives that nobody had found yet because it was miscategorized under canoe things. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was a bunch of stuff in the newspapers too. But that people had known about, but hadn't been widely utilized and um, had been mistranslated into, Eng into English. The translations into English were not great. Uh, so I went through all of these things, found a bunch of cool stuff. And one of the things that I learned in going through all of this is there are a lot of descriptions of birds um, in some of these resources um, that are of birds we just don't know what they are. Um, some of them are kind of wild and some of them are pretty mundane, but we don't know what they are. They, they might have a, just a name. You might have a little bit of a description of what the bird was like or how it was caught, but it's clear that it doesn't match up to anything that is currently known by science. Or at least if it is known by science, we don't know that it has that name. Um, one of those mystery birds that came up was something called an alavi. So... I read the descriptions, you know, and there was a bunch of sources. Um, I can tell you more about it if you, if you want to know. I read I read the descriptions about the alavi, and there were a few different sources. And I thought to myself, ah, oh, you know, this thing, it really sounds like it might be the Hawaii creeper. Because being the bird nerd that I was, I knew that the Hawaii creeper did not have a known Hawaiian name. Um, it's... It was one of those species that no native name was ever collected for. Um, what's interesting about that is the early naturalists actually suspected that it would have a name. And they were a little confused that they couldn't find anybody who could tell them what the name was because the bird was common. 
it was fairly common back in those days. Now, again, it's endangered today, so it's not common at all. But it was common enough in the early days that the naturalists, you know, these people from England who were collecting birds, thought that the Hawaiians should have known the difference. Um, even though they look very similar, the habits and the call are distinctive enough that the old bird catchers who knew the birds better than anybody else ever would have known the difference. So it was a mystery. So I think, um, can I just read you a little bit about what I found? Yes, Sorry. please. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, so there were a few major res resources that I, I got on the Alavi. One was a newspaper article series that was, um, that came out in Kanupepa uh, Kuokoa, a Hawaiian language newspaper, a very prolific Hawaiian language newspaper in 1863. Uh, the series of articles was about uh, Hawaiian birds and the author was G.W. Kahiolo. Um, a side note about G.W. Kahiolo, uh, we think that he was the father of Joseph Poipoi, who was a famous historian, famous Hawaiian historian. Um, but I digress. Um, the description, this is my translation, um, goes like this. The alavi bird. The size of this bird is similar to the amakihi, and its feathers are similar to those of the oma'o, and its legs and beak are similar to the amakihi. Its call is vvv. It's a high-pitched squeak, and the flowers of the upland are its food, such as the lehua, the wiliwili, the awikiwiki, and haha, and other flowers. This is a very delicious bird, similar to the akakane and the ivi. So akakane is another name for apapane, a very common oh. bird today. Ivi is another name for eevi. Um, that's not much. Um, not much to go off of. But the key things there are that it's a bird around the size of the amakihi, which the Hawaii creeper is, and the feathers are similar to the oma'o. So very drab looking because the oma'o is a grayish color and the alavi tend to be very grayish, more than greenish really looking as well. So one of the things that is a little confusing is that it talks about um, the flowers, the nectar of flowers being a, a food of this bird. And um, one thing that biologists might point out is that, as I said, the alavi, the Hawaii creeper, primarily eats arthropods, um, but it does take some nectar. And the bird hunters in the old days, they never used bugs as bait with any birds, to my knowledge. Um, they used flowers a lot. They used fruits sometime, sometimes, and they used some other weird things, probably because you can't really catch the little bugs and make them into some kind of trap that the birds are actually going to go for. So... Wheelie wheelie, aviki viki, lehua, you can use all of these things as bait. So I think that that is the thing that is noted because the informant to GW Kahiolo was probably a bird catcher, more than likely. I mean, who else is going to know about this kind of a thing? So that's one main source that I had it from. Another source that I had it from was an archival note that uh, Nathaniel Emerson collected from a lawyer in Honolulu um, named T.C. Polikapu. So T.C. Polikapu had kupuna from this island from Panaeva. That's important to remember, okay? Panaeva is where his kupuna were from, okay? And Pa'ie'ie, which is near Panaeva. Um, he 
talks a little bit about his kupuna and how they used to use certain uh, bird catching sticks, which we call kia manu. They're these long, long sticks that you stick up into a tree um, and you put what's called bird lime. It's a kind of glue on top of the top of the stick and whatever bait you're using. And then the bird lands and it gets stuck on the glue and then you pull down the stick and then you, you know, you take the bird off for whatever you're going to use it for. So he, he talks about the bird catching sticks and then he lists all the different birds that his kupuna used to catch. And guess what one of them is? Alavi. It's Alavi. Yes, he's he is Alavi, and it, and he gives um, um, some marks there indicating how the pronunciation is too. That there's a kahako on the I, for example, and that there's an okina on Alavi. So that's super useful. So that's another one. The third major um, point of information that I had about Alavi actually comes from Poi Poi. This guy who's supposed to be the son of G.W. Kahiolo. So Poi Poi, among other things, he was a very prolific writer. He wrote a version of the epic tale of Hi'iaka Ikapolio Pele, which I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with. For those people who are not familiar with this tale, Hi'iaka Ikapolio Pele is the youngest sister of Pele, who is Arakua, our, our deity of the volcano. And she's rather famous, I think, world, worldwide, yeah? So anyway, Hi'iaka Ikapolio Pele's story is a very lengthy one. And I, th I actually think I talked about her story last time I was here, <laughs> um, talking about, you know, Kilauea, where Pele lives, and, and all that other stuff. So just to recap, um, Pele sends Hi'iaka Ikapolio Pele on a journey to Kauai. And she has to go get Lohiaoipo, Pele's lover. So she, you know, she, Pele, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a really crazy journey. Hi'iaka has to do all kinds of crazy stuff and she really grows into her own as a person and as an akua, you know, and, and as a supernatural, powerful being in this journey. So early on in her journey, she's journey, she's coming down from Puna, from, from where she started, where their home is at Kilauea on the volcano, coming out through the forest. And she comes to this other very famous forest at the edge of Puna and Hilo, these two major districts, these major moku on Hawaii Island. And that area that saddles Puna and Hilo on the main trail is called Panaeva. Panaeva is a forest. It's still kind of a forest today. There's parts of it that are still around, but mainly I think we know it as um, Hawaiian homelands today where a lot of native Hawaiians have their, their home. And as a, the Panaeva stretch, this piece of highway that we use crossing over into Puna for those of us who live in Hilo. Um, so she comes into Panaeva, and Panaeva in those days was famous for this mo'o, this other kind of supernatural being that is um, opposed to the Pele family. He don't like them for nothing. So his name is Panaeva as well, just like the place. Panaeva the mo'o, Panaeva the place. And he ends up getting into this big battle with Hi'iaka, and it's this crazy thing. There's floods and lightning and mud and blood and murders and all kinds of horrible things between when they fight each other. But the important thing for birds <laughs> in this story of Hi'iaka Ikopolio Pele fighting Panaeva is that Panaeva has these two younger brothers who act as his spies early on in that story. And in Poi Poi's version of the story, they're called Alayaha and Alavi. Mm -hmm. So there are these two little birds, forest birds, that have high-pitched voices and creep around. 
and they're you know they they creep around and they they look at Hiyaka and they spy on her, which tells us a little bit about the character of these birds and their behavior. Yeah. Mm. So the olivee is a bird that creeps around. And remember, it's kind of invisible. Yeah, you don't see it, um, and it has a high pitched voice, very much so. The alayaha is another mystery bird that we won't get into today, <laughs> but they're paired together. So remember that other source I talked to you about mentioned olivee in Panaeva. That was important. So we know that olive is a bird in Panaeva. It's greenish grayish in color, has a high-pitched voice, and is about the size of an amakihi now. Yeah? No other bird on this island matches that description as well as the Hawaii creeper. Amakihi matches it, but we know it's not the amakihi <laughs> because it says it's like an amakihi, right? Mm -hmm. And there are a couple of other birds that it's possible it could be but don't match the description as well. One is a female akepa. Another is a bird called the greater amakihi, which also doesn't have a known Hawaiian name. It is currently extinct. And there's always a possibility that it's a mystery bird that we just do not know and went extinct sometime early on. But I think we have enough evidence to justify saying that it's probably the Hawaii creeper. There's a couple of other points of... Um, Supporting evidence that I could give too, but I, I think I've talked way too much already. <laughs> a couple of other things about Alavi and the name Alavi. The name Alavi shows up in a, as a name for a couple of other birds in Hawaii. Not on Hawaii Island, but in Hawaii, the archipelago. So, in the Pukui Albert Dictionary, uh, Alavi is listed as a name for the Kauai Amakihi and for the juvenile that's the young, immature, Anyanyel. So both birds from Kauai. And if you look at those birds, I suspect it's also for the young Kauai Yamaki. But if you look at the juvenile Anyanyel, it's a grayish color bird. Um, very similar to an Amakihi, a little bit smaller. Now, Amakihi obviously is a is a practical comparison. Kalamai, when you say smaller, what is how like inches? How how big is it? It's the Anyanyel. The uh, the Anyanyel is um I think it's about 10 centimeters long. Um, so it's actually the smallest living native Hawaiian bird. Um, so suckers are tiny. So about, I think it's about 10 centimeters long and they're really light. I've never actually seen one myself. They're not endangered yet, I think, but they're declining like all the other Kauai birds. As opposed to the alavi is how big? Alavi are between 11 to 13 centimeters in length. So a little bit bigger. Also really small birds. Um... There's another bird, which we normally call the alawahio, on uh, Maui, and formerly on Lanai. The population on Lanai um, actually was, you know, called by a different name um, by the people from Lanai. They would call it alauvi or alavi, another greenish-colored bird. Um, all of these birds are thought to have been related to each other at one point or another. Honestly, I think that's supporting evidence that the Hawaii creeper is the identity of this bird because these other birds are so similar. And again, we know that these other birds are not the bird that's being talked about um, because these other references are specific to this island. So there was a bird also on this island, and none of those other birds are found on this island. They're all birds that are local to, the, to other places in Hawaii. One other interesting thing about Alavi that came up, it's actually mentioned in Kumulipo. Um, so the Kumulipo is a Meleko'ihonua, it's a genealogical chant that ties our ali'i, our nobility as Native Hawaiians, 
basically to the dawn of time. It traces back their genealogy all the way back to the beginning, to before there was people, to before there was living things, back to the source of darkness. So it's, you could, people have literally spent their entire lives studying Kumulipo and not wrested all of its secrets up from it because it's an incredibly complex um, piece of literature. Um, part of Kumulipo talks about different living things that emerge into existence before humans. And there are figurative aspects of what this all means too that I won't get into. But we see a bunch of birds appear. And um, as these birds appear in Kumulipo, we, we see them paired with each other. Uh, dichotomies, what we call ekoa in Hawaiian, are a, a way that we organize our information and a way that we um, remember things. And we see them a lot in our chants and our pieces of poetry and even in our literature. So the alavi appears in one of these dichotomies in the Kumulipo. Um, it emerges in the chant as the quote-unquote child of another bird called Alala. Mm -hmm. So if you're familiar with Alala, you know it looks absolutely nothing like, a, <laughs> like an Alavi. No matter what description or what version of Alavi we want to go with, um, the Alala is the what we call the Hawaiian crow. It's not really a crow. It's, more, it's actually apparently mostly, most closely related to rooks, but it's a corvid. Big, black, loud bird way, way bigger than an olive Like it could probably eat an olive if it could catch it. Um, but they're paired together in Kumulipo. And why is that? Yeah. So we don't know a lot about the Kumulipo. One, because it was written hundreds of years ago. And two, because our, just our understanding is not the same as it was back in the day. Like there are even words we don't understand anymore. But what I can see about that pairing is the calls of the birds, yeah? Alala is, if you look it up in the dictionary, it's like a scream. It's like a screaming child, this rah, rah, loud sound, you know, waking up the sun, literally. Um, alavi, if you look it up in the dictionary, is a really trill, high-pitched sound. So they're opposites. They're opposites. That's part of what is going on here. I am absolutely sure there's another connection to be made that I'm not seeing. Some part of the the underlying knowledge, the kauna, but they are definitely opposite, opposites in at least one way. So it's interesting we can connect this endangered species that we didn't know anything about, you know, culturally speaking, to Kumulipo and to Hi'iaka Ikopolio Pele, now that we know its name. That's how powerful names are and why they're so important, you know, mm -hmm. place names, people's names, the names of birds in this case, of other living things. And we tie it to Panaeva. We, we know something about what Panaeva used to be like and what used to live there. There used to be a lot of birds. People used to bird catch there. This was one of those things you could see. If things hadn't changed, we would be getting these things down in our yard still because they can eat all kinds of stuff. They can live in all kinds of trees. The reason why we don't see them is because there are things that kill them now. And the major thing that kills them is disease foreign diseases, mostly spread by mosquitoes. So why don't we have our native forest birds? There's a lot of reasons. I know some of the other guests have talked about introduced predators. I'm sure somebody has had to talk about um, the 
habitat loss that has occurred. We've lost a tremendous amount of native forest, like two thirds of our native forests. 90% of our native dryland forest is gone. But the big sucker punch that has been taking out our birds and is continuing to take out our birds till this very day is mosquito-borne disease. So you know how, how people can get sick from mosquitoes, right? Dengue fever, malaria, you know, all these other even more crazy things that can kill you. And luckily, we don't have a lot of these things in Hawaii. Well, different kinds of mosquitoes can carry different kinds of diseases, okay? And the kinds of mosquitoes we have in Hawaii can carry diseases that affect birds. So uh, many listeners probably know that when Western contact first happened in Hawaii, there were a lot of people living here, maybe up to a million, right? Um, and then people died. Huge numbers of people died. Um, over and over, new diseases came in that had never been here before, that people did not have immunity to because it just ne never happened. And it kept wiping people out. You can imagine over and over again, like every year, a new epidemic coming through. I, I just read an article um, where um, an old timer, uh, Elizabeth Lahilahi Webb, uh, was talking about how in 1853, a smallpox epidemic hit the Hawaiian Islands and killed thousands of people to the point where the people were making mass graves, burying mm -hmm. people in ditches because mm -hmm. it was too much. And that was later. That was a that was already like decades into this this whole thing happening. So the same thing happened with our native birds and is still happening with our native birds. There the diseases came in that they had never seen before. And that combined with new predators, with new competition, with loss of their habitat, it just wiped them out. But the disease is the big thing. And the, the disease is the thing we're trying to figure out how to control because it's getting worse. Hawaii's climate is changing, especially on this island, Hawaii Island. It's getting drier and it's getting warmer, believe it or not, as rainy as it was today. And as that happens, the mosquitoes are going further and further up onto the mountain and the diseases they carry are able to go further and further up on the mountain because they can tolerate more. And way up on our mountains is where the olive and the other, most of our other native forest birds are are living, their last places, their last refuges ever. And they're losing, they were gonna lose them. Um, it's a matter of when. There's a initiative right now that a lot of different people are trying to contribute to, to bring in um, a specific kind of bacteria um, to Hawaii, to bring it into our mosquitoes here in Hawaii that can basically make them sterile. I won't get into the details because I'm not qualified to talk about it, but it's really important that we know that this is happening and that it, we try to support it because honestly, this is like our last ditch effort, guys. This is, we have to try to do something to control the mosquitoes or we, we really don't have hope. We can conserve all the forests we want, but we're going to lose the birds. Um, and when the birds go, a lot of other things go too. Things that we can't even predict. So... You know, I guess this is a good transition to go and talk about our other forest bird for today on Kauai, the Akikiki. I've never seen an Akikiki before, um, as I mentioned earlier. But they're a very special bird. We don't know a lot about what they meant to our people in the old days. We can infer a little bit about what we thought about them through their name. 
um, Akikiki, for most of our native birds, when the name begins with the letter A, with that A, it's a reference to their beak. And um, the Kikiki probably means something to the effect of abnormally short. So they have a little tiny beak. Um, that's probably what the name means. But I don't really know. This is, this is my conjecture, uh, my guess. Um, they're really cool because they have a particular superpower where they have really strong legs and they can creep up and down vertical surfaces or underneath completely upside down a branch looking for bugs. There, there are also another species that likes to look for bugs. Um, sometimes they also take nectar. And again, um, for a long time, people thought that they were the same species as the olivine, just different subspecies, even though they look pretty different. Um, the Akikiki is most notable today because it's probably our next species that's going to go extinct. Um, I believe the last count for last year was less than 50 birds. Um, the range for it is shrinking rapidly. You know, I think there were a few thousand that were alive 20 years ago, and now we're down to like 50. And that's the kind of numbers where all it takes is one big event, you know, a hurricane, a bad storm, you know, a plague, and the species will just be knocked off the map. Um, very smart people are trying to figure out what to do about it. Probably what's going to happen is some of the last birds will end up going into captivity. There already is a captive population of about the same number, I believe. Um, my understanding, and again, I'm not an expert in this, is that they're a little difficult to breed. So that's problematic. And, um, you know, hopefully they, they can get a captive population going. But when you take an animal into captivity, it's really like the last thing that you want to do. It's most important for that animal to be on the landscape doing what it's supposed to be doing, fulfilling its function in the forest for us, whatever that is. And if it's not there, it's not fulfilling that function. And what happens with some birds is over the generations, they kind of forget how to live in the forest. That's a problem we're experiencing with the alala, which only exists in captivity right now. And when we try to bring it out into the wild again, it's really hard to teach them how to how to live there because it's literally been generations. It's like if we were to take one of, you know, a human, a Hawaiian, myself maybe, and say, okay, toss me into Waipio Valley. Tell them, okay, here's your land. Go be Hawaiian, be a farmer. <laughs> I don't know how to be a farmer. <laughs> I don't know how to fish. <laughs> Not really. Um, you know, I'd probably die <laughs> unless I'm real, like, you know, survivor and that, that kind of guy that's like, well, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to go. You know, you always have those exceptional individuals, but that's what we're doing to these birds, essentially, is just saying, go for it. This is your natural habitat. Do the thing. You remember. The, yeah, you remember, right? Even though you were, you know, it was your great, great grandma who was the last <laughs> one who was here. Um, but it's a problem. And um, unfortunately, um, there's not a lot of great solutions. There's hope. There's definitely hope, but not a lot of great solutions and not the situation that we want. Um, in our mele, okalele anei auna, um, that we are, as a hui, so in our group Ahui Manu, we've been, as I'm sure other guests have talked about, we've been developing this 
Meleko Ihonua for the birds. Yeah, this this Kumulipo-esque chant for our birds to breathe vitality into them, to reconnect them to ourselves, to the landscape, to other people, to their counterparts on land and on sea, to remember these things and to bring them back to life because there is power in words. You know, it's, an, it's a Hawaiian saying, yeah? Ika olalo no keola, ika olalo no kamake. There is life and there is death within language itself. Um, and we do have a verse for this bird, for the akikiki. We don't have one for the alavi yet, but we do have one for akikiki. The verse for the akikiki goes like this. Hano ka akikiki, kani. Kia ie ka ukiki no hoikai, ola mauloi ka umikoa no hoiuka, o ka akikiki auna lelea paa paa hia. Akikiki is connected to a particular kind of snapper fish. Um, really, the connection was just because of the similarity in the names. We can make an assumption that there probably is something similar physically or behaviorally between these two birds. I cannot say what, oh, two birds, between these two creatures. I can't say exactly what that is um, because I don't know fish very well. I'm sorry, but I would I would not be surprised if there's a connection. Um, I don't know what the connection with the umikoa was. Maybe it wasn't me who wrote this one. I don't know who it was. Umikoa is a kind of lichen that is very common on koa trees. It's a very typical looking lichen. It's very hairy and furry. So the name umikoa, I think is a modern name. It's a reference to umi umi, which is beard. So it's the beard of the koa tree. And if you ever go up in the mountains and see a koa tree, that's kind of how they look. Um, but that's the, that's the piece for the akikiki. Okay, so I'm going to circle back around again to the alavi because I want to give full context about things. Um, so I found this name for the alavi. I think I found this name, right? We're running with it, but I found this name that I suspected belonged to the Hawaii creeper, Alavi, inside of all of these archival documents. And I kept it to myself. I didn't say anything to anybody. This is probably about 2012. I think I figured this out. Um, I didn't say anything to anybody because I knew it was going to be a huge pain in my butt to have to try to prove it to anybody. And it wasn't worth it. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? One day, maybe. And then in 2016... I got a call um, from Anya Tagawa and Alex Wong. And um, they both at the time were working for the State Department of Land and Natural Resources. And their boss, Nick, you know, was saying to them, hey, you guys know, we got to bring some attention to this endangered species, this Hawaii creeper. It doesn't have a Hawaiian name. Maybe we should, we should ask some experts and come up with a name for it. So by that time, I had already graduated with my master's degree on the bird hunters. So I, I was familiar with both Anya and Alex from volunteering with the Endangered Forest Bird Surveys. And they called me up and they said, hey, Noah, we're thinking of giving this bird, this Hawaii creeper, a Hawaiian name. What do you think we should call it? So I'm thinking to myself, oh, crap. <laughs> if I don't say something now, it's my fault. You know, it's, it's, it's going to have the wrong name and it's going to be my fault. So I said, well, you know, guys, I think I might actually have the old name for it. And so we went through this whole process. I had to write a paper um, about all of this stuff, about the reasoning behind the Alavi name. Um, and we submitted it to the local journal for the Hawaii Audubon Society and had it printed there. 
And then I approached the Hawaiian uh, language lexicon committee, who is in charge of creating new words for the Hawaiian language. Um, they were created in the 80s. Um, it's a group of Hawaiian language experts, and they either create new words or they approve new findings about words for people to use if they want to. You know, there's no like law, you must use this word. But they, it's, a, it's a formal process that exists, and we wanted to go through some kind of formal process. So I approached the Hawaiian Lexicon Committee, Larry Kimura specifically, who at the time was chairing the committee. He might still be, for all I know. Um, and passed it through them, jumped through a bunch of hoops. It took a couple of months, and it was kind of difficult um, proving the point to them. And it should be. It should be difficult. And they approved it. And then um, we decided to have a ceremony, you know, officially honoring this name, restoring the name to the bird in as official of a capacity as we could. Um, and we decided to do it at a place called Kulani. Um, well, we generally call the, the area Kulani. It's, it's really a part of Ola'a in Puna. Um, there's a pu'u there with a, you can see it from Hilo actually, if you look up towards, towards Mauna Loa volcano. Uh, Kulani has a, a big antenna sticking out of it. So you can see it from far away. Um, but the forest surrounding there is, is part of, part of Ola'a and there are a lot of other various place names there. It's a pretty old forest, um, composed of kipuka, of, you know, these, these islands of old, old, well-developed soil and good forests that are surrounded by younger lava flows. And it's just awesome biodiversity in there. Beautiful diversity of plants. Uh, some of the best on the island, I think, because it's been protect protected for a long time. Um, we went up to that area that we generally call Kulani um, because that was the most accessible place where Alavi live. Um, and we wanted to go to a place that sustains the bird. So we decided to have this ceremony, like reporters were coming and all of these big wigs were going to be invited. And they said to me, Noah, you need to lead this ceremony. And I was like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I'm not like a kahuna or something. I don't know how to lead a ceremony. But everybody's looking to me, right? And it should be me, right? I, I came up with the name. I'm the one pushing the product here. So <laughs> I, had to, um, I had to seek out friends for advice and ask for help. Because I'm not really trained in that stuff. Um, at the time, I was in the first cohort of Halao Ohia. So Kekuhi, Keli Ikanako Ole Ohaililani, was my was our kumu. And I uh, approached her and said, what do I do? <laughs> but I, I came to her and I said, what do I do? I, I have to do like some kind of ava ceremony or something. And she said, yeah, go do an ava ceremony. That's the most appropriate thing because what we're trying to do is build community here. Um, with each other, all the people who are involved with the life of this bird and bringing it back. And we're building Pilina with the landscape too and with the bird. So Ava is the most appropriate thing. So she, she told me I had to come up with a, a chat for the Ava, to doing the Ava ceremony. And I had to come up with a, a name chat for the bird. And um, I did. And then I asked my friends to come and help me with the Ava ceremony portion of thing, uh, things because I wasn't trained in it. Um, Kekai Lindsay and Aulanika Iliho both came up and helped me with it. Thank God. Um, or thank <laughs> gods. Thank Akua. Um, 
So we came up, we all sat down, had this ceremony. Everybody wore kihei. I wore kihei. I, some people gave me lei, which was really nice. Um, and we did the ava ceremony. I did the mele, did the chants. Um, and we offered ava first to the landscape, to a plant that represented the things that would sustain the alavi. We offered it to the akua. We offered it to the alavi itself. I don't know if anybody recorded any of that. And then we offered apu ava, these you know, cups of ava, to different individuals who were important in leading the effort to recover our native forest birds, especially this bird. And everybody eventually partook in the ava. And um, it was really nice. And we came back down and um, my, my parents knew what was going on that day. And I didn't know until we came back down that afternoon, my grandmother passed away that morning while we were doing the ceremony. She passed away. I knew she wasn't doing particularly great, but she had pulled through before many times. And um, she, she was 94, almost a couple of weeks away from 95 years old. Very, you know, she had, she had a very full life. But it's just a um, very meaningful day is what it ended up being, you know, in so many layers, May 31st, 2017. Um, very meaningful day. And that's the story of how the name Alavi came to be. And I'm going to try to go through the Mele Inoa that I came up with right now. So I had some help coming up with this Mele. Um, the words are all of mine, my own. I asked some friends to paka. Kamealoha Forest helped me with the paka part of it. The paka is, is when you have someone go through and criticize and check what you made. Um, and he helped me with the, the leo, the the air, the the um the voice part, the sound. I think that's all I got. Mahalo okay. <laughs> Nui <laughs> okay. for sharing that Meleinoa for the Alavi. Um, just to bring us back into the space of the sound of the birds that you shared um, for our listeners, would you mind sharing the Kani again? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, so I don't actually know the Kani of the Akikiki. It's been taught to me. Um, and my fellow Ahui Manu people are probably shaking their heads. <laughs> but um, I'm going to share the call with you guys so that the listeners can hear in a different way. Um, but the call of the Alavi I'm very familiar with. Uh, well, the, the song of the Alavi is the, the thing I'm really familiar with. So again, it has this kind of trilling sound that, that it does in its song. And it's distinctive. Yeah, it goes... 
as opposed to the amakihi, which again looks very similar and almost kind of sounds a little similar too, which when it sings, it goes so almost like a straight sound for the amakihi and a downward curve for the alavi, which is the easiest way to, to identify it. Mahalo for that. And mahalo for sharing so much of what you, you have done with us today, Noah. I mean, the, the context, the sobering um, you know, threats that our manu face, um, including the, the threat from um, diseases spread by mosquitoes, um, the ways that we can connect with with birds, the naming traditions, the importance of bird hunters or bird catchers, and the knowledge that they've they've shared with us and the research that you've conducted um, in that regard. It's been so much, so powerful, and um, we mahalo you deeply for what you've shared and what you continue to do. No, yeah, mahalo for having me. Um, it's always a pleasure to share, you know, if I do know about something. Um, and I care passionately about the birds. You know, all of us do. We, we care a lot about Hawaii and we care a lot about what happens here. This is our home. And um, the birds are just one aspect of that that we, we want people to be a little bit more familiar with. Yeah. Mahalo Nui for sharing all of your mana'o. For our listeners who might be interested in joining in the efforts that are out there for for the manu that you listed, as well as for all of our uh, manu Hawaii. Are there uh, websites, particular websites or social media that you might um, direct our listeners to where the, where they could kokua or learn more? Oh, I mean, so first of all, you could Google birds, not mosquitoes to learn more about the efforts to um, control mosquitoes in Hawaii and to keep the diseases away from our native birds. Um, I'm sure you can find out more about how to help on that website as well. Um, it's really important that if you do have something to say, if you do care to, to, to vocalize and say something, um, we need all the help we can get. Um, really, every, every person counts. Uh, you could also check out Birds of Hawaii Past and Present um, on Facebook, on Instagram. Uh, my, fellow, my fellow Ahui Manu member, um, Brett Mossman, Nainoa Mossman, um, runs that and he really works hard trying to get information out there, especially about things that um, people can do to help with legislation and in putting their voice out there. Um, those are the two main things that come to mind. But also, you know, tell people about the birds. Um, if you have kids and you have the opportunity to share with them about the birds, or even if you don't know about birds, just get out there into the forest and to the places where these things live. My father didn't know anything about birds. <laughs> he didn't know anything at all. But you never know what's going to inspire a kid and where they're going to go with it. Like, you really don't. You, you, you can, the best thing you can do is to provide them with experiences and they might latch on to something really cool. So spend time with your kids, take them out into our places and get them to know the land. Get them to know Hawaii. Mahalo nui to our mea keeper, Noah Gomes, for sharing the differences between the alavi, akikiki, and amakihi, and how their call can help you detect them. It was also nice to hear Noah recount his own childhood story of what sparked his interest in Manu Hawaii. And what a story Noah shared about the alavi naming ceremony, including that powerful chant. We are truly privileged to have had the opportunity to hear this. Yes, indeed. 
Please be sure to check out our blog at hilo.hawaii.edu slash uluwao and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Ahui ho! Aloha! Aloha!